If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King and just want to encourage you as a church family to be very prayerful over the coming weeks as, as we walk through some of these difficult times. And uh, I know at Ferndale you will have prayed through some of these difficult things as well. And, and just invite us as a church family to really be praying, especially for people who've been, who've been really touched by these tragedies. A couple of brief announcements as we get started. First of all, I just want to uh, uh, ask you if you pull out this little yellow piece of paper from your program. If you're in a small group at CTK, if you lead a small group at CTK, we just want to make sure that our information about your existence is true and right. So if you could fill that out for me, that would be fantastic. Um, Just appreciate you doing that. Stick it in the offering. Drop it by the connection point. That would be uh, just amazing. want to bring your attention to something that's coming up. One of the largest outreaches we do at Christ the King is something called Trunk or Treat. Last year, we had thousands of kids, literally, not exaggerating, thousands of children pour into our parking lot looking for a safe place um, to be able to collect candy. And so I'm going to try as best I can to influence about 150 of you who have a car and a trunk to show up. We will fill your trunk with candy and you get to give it out. You get to be the good guy and we'll do all the hard work, okay? So Bellingham, Ferndale, that's what we're looking for. If you could put that date aside, just a great outreach into our community that would be fantastic. As we've been going through this deep series, I just want to remind you again about the deep guide that's in the comments. It's also available at Ferndale. This is your opportunity to figure out where you're at in the discipleship process, to look down that column, to see some opportunities and outcomes and spiritual disciplines that God might be calling you to, and then to look to the column to your right so you understand where it is that Jesus may have you go. And uh, like, again, this is not a checklist. It's not a menu. This is an opportunity for you to figure out just where you're at in, in God's development of you as a person and to take the next step. I have really, really, really good news. Now, I can only give you half of the good news, but if I don't tell somebody, I'm going to die because I've been working on this for a really, really, really long time. Christ the King, we have a worship pastor. We do. And I'm excited, but I can't tell you his name Um, because there is another church family that he's going to be saying goodbye to, and we want them to hear it from him, not from us. So, zip it. Not saying a thing, but it's just, I'm so excited. This is going to be awesome. God has answered our prayers, and uh, thanks for praying. Keep on praying. We'll give you more details in the weeks to come. All I know is this is going to be awesome. Deeply excited about it. Well, I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Welcome those of you who are joining us at Ferndale and those who are watching online as well. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Just want to review some of the things we have been walking through over the past weeks. As we've gone through this series called Deep, we have defined spiritual depth as the personal responsibility that each one of us has in growing a deeper and intimate knowledge of God. Last weekend, Pastor Sean Cunningham here at this campus and myself at the Ferndale campus shared that we're all on a common journey, a common journey from resisting God to receiving Jesus Christ and everything that he has for us. And this week, we're going to wrap up the last part of Deep while introducing a brand new series called Cringe. Over the next 10 weeks, we're going to unpack some moments when Jesus pressed in very, very deeply to the souls of the people who were following him. He pressed in deeper because he wanted them to embrace a deeper discipleship relationship 
with him. In fact, Jesus pressed in so hard on some of these occasions, he made people freak out. He made people cringe because the ripples of the implications of what he was saying was scaring people. So here's what I'm going to tell you, CTK, for October and November. You better bring a seatbelt because this could get ugly. And you have no idea how much today I wanted to just bring everybody a big warm fuzzy because I think some of us could use it. I wanted to very, very badly. But I believe the truth of God's word comforts us when things are good and when things are hard. So we're going to press in. I got to preach in Ferndale last week and, and uh, um, it was amazing to be with Ferndale. I mean, people told us up and down, you can't do video church in Whatcom County. It will not work. Well, apparently... About 250 people in Ferndale don't agree with that statement, and they're doing a phenomenal job of having church in a school in Ferndale. I got to celebrate the one-year anniversary with some of our Christ the King family out there, and I told them, so this is repeats for you, Ferndale, but I told them about a a sermon research field trip that I took, because we've been talking about deep, and so I figured if I was going to check it out, I should go to the aquatic center and actually observe some swimming lessons where some people were being told and taught how to dive off of a diving board. For the record, I noticed something while I was there, and I'm just going to say it. Gentlemen, for the love of Jesus, Speedos are just wrong. They're just plain wrong. I don't care what size you are. You look like a boiled egg with a rubber band around it. Don't do it, please. Oh. Once I overcame my disgust at that and had a drink of water, I came back to the observation window and I watched a group of children learning how to dive off of a diving board. I thought it was amazing because they all had different methods. Some people walk up to the edge of the water and they kind of do this, you know, like. And then they go in, you know, to their ankle. What, what is it? What, I don't understand. Why is it when you go up to your ankle, your arms come up automatically, you know? And then it's up to your knees and your hands are like this. I mean, just, it's agony, but they just kind of ease themselves into it. Well, this little class of kids had already submerged themselves completely in the water. They were completely comfortable. And then their lifeguard took them to the deep end and, and wanted them to dive. First little guy, I mean, it was awesome. Amazing methodology. Boing, cannonball, splash, awesome. Those who are being baptized don't get any ideas at all. Could be a good YouTube moment, but I'm not in the tank. So anyway, cannonball, just straight in. Second little girl, amazing. You know, perfect form. Out to the end of the diving board. Hands out, overhead, small prayer, and poof, straight in. Straight through the water, just like a knife. Amazing. Third little guy captured my heart. Kind of walks out to the end. Looks around, mom and dad, Jesus help me, looks down, realizes it just looks super deep, big sigh, about face, straight back, cannonball dude, boing, woo, you know, into the water, he tries again, out to the end, same look on his face, looking down. I don't think so. Turn around, straight back, three times. And every time he went back, cannonball dude, boing, woohoo! Finally, cannonball dude 
blonde hair, the whole bit, is off on the side of the pool. And the little guy comes out to the end again, and Cannonball Dude starts cheering. Come on, Daniel. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, Daniel. Jump. This is going to be. Yes, Daniel. Daniel. Dan- He's got people just going for it. Daniel finally does the, the into the water. <laughs> Swims to the side, gets out, kind of looks around. <laughs> cannonball dude. I mean, Daniel, cannonball dude. Daniel, cannonball dude. Around and around and around. Finally, the lifeguard is just like, guys, we got to go. No, no, no. One more time. One more time. He finally got a taste of the deep and an incredible thing happened. All of a sudden, he had freedom and he was jumping in, going over and over and over again. This week, we're going to meet a rich young man who gets to the end of a faith diving board and never has the nerve to do what Daniel did. It's in your program. It's uh, on your outline. It's in your Bible. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 starts with these words. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Let's stop for a second. Why was the man running? I have no idea. I have no idea, but let me ask you a question, Christ the King. When do you run to God? I know when I run to God, when I'm in trouble. When I have a crisis, I have no idea why the man was running, but I do know that it was culturally not cool for a man, especially a man of wealth and prestige, to ever run anywhere. But something made him run. Something made him desperate. Something made him for a moment to put aside his reputation and his dignity. Something made the man break a sweat and run. Something brought him panning up to Jesus where he fell on his knees and out of his mouth before he can even contain himself spurts a question. This is what it says. Bible says, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Let's just stop there just for a second. Can we give credit where credit is due? That's a good question. Have you ever asked that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That is a fantastic question. I'm hoping some of you have an answer for that question. But I think it's amazing. This guy comes with this loaded question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus actually sidesteps it just for a second. Now, don't think for a minute that Jesus isn't going to loop back around again. But he actually sidesteps the question for a second. And instead of answering it, he asks a question of his own. The question is this. Why are you calling me good? No one's good except God alone. Many false religions have grabbed onto the verse, and they've translated it and interpreted it to say Jesus is saying he's not God. They're completely and totally missing the point. That's a wrong interpretation of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is responding to a flawed assumption by a very, very wealthy young man that good is achievable by human effort rather than being possessed and given by God's grace. Jesus sidesteps just for a second and says, this is not about me. This is about you. You turn the mirror towards me. I'm going to flip it back around. We're talking about your soul, not about me. So keep your eyes because you actually think you're good. You think you're good. Jesus is saying to this young man, here's where I'm going. You think you're good, but you're not good enough. Nobody is. 
Let's stop here just for a second and talk about two deep and yet very flawed assumptions. These are assumptions that many people share in our modern world where good is attached to everything. You've probably heard somebody say it. I think I'm a good person. I don't do bad things. That makes me a good person. And because I'm a good person, I'm just really hoping God grades grades on a curve and someday I'm going to get to heaven and we're going to call it good. Maybe you've heard that before. Here's a couple of assumptions that come from the man that just kind of piggyback on that thought. The first one is this, that goodness can be achieved. The goodness can be achieved. I mean, I love the exchange that goes back and forth. It shows just how unbelievably brilliant Jesus is at drawing out and getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus starts going down a checklist that the young man would have been very, very familiar with. He starts going down the commandments. He basically says this, thou shalt not murder. The young guy goes, check. Good. Still good. Adultery. Check. Still good. Thou shalt not steal. Check. Well, except for that little thing on my tax return, but that's okay because everybody does it, right? Then he gets to this one. Jesus said, thou shalt not bear false testimony. Basically, you're not supposed to be lying. I think this one's funny because the young guy is lying to himself at this point. It's called denial. But when Jesus says you're not supposed to bear false testimony, he's just like, check. Perfect. Never told a lie ever. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Mom and dad, check. I'm good. Defrauding, check. I'm good. And then he says this, I've been doing this stuff since I was a kid. I'm a good Old Testament law-abiding boy. I'm completely and totally good. Oh, Christ the King, don't miss the point of the story right here. It wasn't his money that was getting in the way. It was his self-sufficiency. It wasn't his possessions getting in the way. It was his pride. It wasn't a big wallet that was getting in the way. It was a big head that said, I'm just fine on my own. Scripture speaks to it. There's no one righteous, not even one. Not this guy, none of these guys, none of us. James says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty at breaking all of it. Now, some of you are going, but Grant, that's not fair. You just read us New Testament stuff. It hadn't even been written at this particular point. That's true, but it doesn't make the assumption right, does it? This man thinks his effort is the bottom line. Jesus says, your effort has nothing to do with it. This is all about whether or not I'm good to people who've sinned. Here's the second assumption that eternal life can be earned. Do you notice the young man's question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He'd been doing his entire life. I'm sure he was thinking to himself, I've done all this stuff since I was a kid. That makes me good, right? Surely all of the good things I've done in my life add up to something. It has to count for something, doesn't it? The answer is yes, but not when it comes to the salvation of your soul. Scripture says all of our good stuff is like a dirty rag in front of God. It just doesn't measure up. Here's the message of Jesus to this guy. If you don't get anything else, make sure you grab this. He's saying this to this very successful, very middle American guy. He's saying, my friend, You don't need a resume. You need a redeemer. You get it? You don't need a resume. You need a redeemer. Now, before you freak out, I want you to look at the next line because this is unbelievably telling. It says this, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I love that. He didn't shame him. He didn't try and put his finger through his forehead. 
He didn't try to grab him by the throat. The Bible says he looked at him and he, act, and he loved him. I'm going to tell you something before it actually happens in the, in the account we're reading. Jesus is about to go very, very, very deep. He's about to put his finger on an idol in the middle of the man's soul. Jesus is going to make him cringe. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. And it's going to appear very, very cruel unless we understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay, let's make sure we understand this. When it comes down to condemnation versus conviction, here's the truth. Condemnation is driven by shame. Conviction is driven by love. If Jesus was condemning the man, he would have said this, you're guilty. You can't change. Nobody can keep the law. It's impossible. There's too many of them. You're just simply not good enough. You can't change. You're stupid. You're never going to get it. Why can't you get this? You're a failure. You're not worthy of me loving. If Jesus was trying to condemn him, that's what he would have been saying. But that's not what he says. Conviction has a very, very different language. Conviction says this. I love you enough to want to tell you the truth. This might hurt in the end, but it, it could save your eternal life. So I'm going to say it. Conviction says, I love you and I want the best for you. So let's get down to the bottom line, Mr. Rich Guy. And it's not the bottom line you think we're going to talk about. Here it comes. Here comes tough, deep, gut-wrenching love. Jesus says this, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Some of you get up to that point and you go, okay, there it is. I knew it. That's the God that I see in church all the time. Stealing my fun, taking my stuff. That's not love. That's hate. I don't like him. Time out. We're out of here. It's a cringe moment. It's a tough one. If that's what you thought, can you just stick with me for about six minutes? Because boy, is it going to change. See, this guy's rich. And Jesus says to him, you need to go and sell everything. I mean, that's a cringe moment. I mean, I think when that cringe moment was going on, there was another one happening. I mean, I can imagine the disciples at that point. I mean, can you imagine? He's like, no, 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 Jesus, don't go hardcore. No, 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 back up, make it easy. Back up, just make it easy. Just let's do the little prayer thing. That's better. Come on, leave him alone, leave him alone, leave him alone. I mean, we, we left stuff behind, but we were just fishermen. Nets aren't that expensive. Come on, Jesus. This guy's good. He's got a Visa gold card, and we're hungry. Can we just keep him around for a little while? Kind of like a pet. That would be cool, right? Don't give him the sell everything talk right now. That's no. I can just see Peter like, ah, oh, what are you doing? I mean, it would make sense. Four verses earlier, Jesus is hanging out with children and it's all warm and fuzzy. And then a rich guy shows up and Jesus is like, sell it all. Wow. Why is Jesus going hardcore with this guy? Well, let me tell you, here it is. This is the deep truth. Jesus is calling out the one thing that would compete for this man's eternal attention. He's going straight to the core of it. Because here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that this man is tethered to earth by a golden cord that he will not let go of. This guy's in love with his stuff and Jesus knows it because Jesus knows everything. I'm going to tell all of us something so we understand this. Jesus knows what you love more than him. 
Jesus knows what I worship with my time and my money and my attention. Jesus knows the functional saviors that we run to thinking they're going to satisfy us and fill that God-shaped hole in the center of our soul. Jesus knows what competes for our eternal attention. He knows how we try to run to things that give us a temporary fix, even though we're asking eternal questions. Jesus knows what every single one of us choose over him. He knows what our idol is. He knows what we grab and stick behind our back when he comes asking for us to lay it all down. He knows the one thing that we may have said we gave up, but that we've refused to hand over completely. He knows the list. He knows my list. And he knows yours. Some of you are freaking out right now because you're just like, this, this, this looks very, very tough. It is. It is. Most of us are saying, no, I want this to be easy. I, I, I want a nice, a nice, easy layer of commitment. I don't want Jesus to mess with my nice, comfortable life. I want him to have these conversations with everybody else but me. It looks unbelievably tough, and it is, but I'm going to tell you something. It looks a little cruel to ask somebody who's probably worked unbelievably hard to walk away from everything that he's done. It might be cruel unless you consider that the man who's asking him to do it left the inexhaustible riches of heaven to come here looking for us. And then it seems very fair for him to ask this. It might be cruel unless you understand that in order to be a disciple, you've got to be willing to lay it all down for your master's sake. This is the upgrade, though. I love this part of it. I mean, it just looks so unbelievably cruel. You got a lot, you got to give it all up. That's just, it just seems kind of mean until you understand this deep insight. Oh my goodness, let's get this. Let's get it, let's get it. Jesus was not calling the young man to choose between something and nothing. Jesus was calling him to choose between temporary and eternal. Do you get that? Did you get that, Christ the King? Jesus has something better for this man than the earthly wealth that lasts for a couple of years and then ends up in a pile somewhere for your relatives to fight over after you're dead. Jesus has something better to invest in than something that, that, that's like last year's model that depreciates the second you drive it off the lot. Jesus has something better for us than the newest gizmo version 4.0 that's obsolete the very day you buy it. Jesus has something better that will not burn or rust or fade. He offers a deep, intimate relationship with a loving God. And he says, if you're willing to receive that, it'll last you for eternity. Now, this stuff seems so temporal down here. I'll tell you what, three days into eternity, we're going to be looking back at all this stuff going, are you kidding me? It will be gone. And the only thing that will last... Jesus, his word, and us. Jesus says, come on. Trust me. I just put my finger on the middle of your idol, and I know it made you squirm, but I still want you to jump, young man. Come on, jump. Right now in this service at Bellingham, I'm going to dismiss a group of people who did not walk away sad.
That's why they're getting baptized tonight. So baptismal people, if you guys could head that direction, that would be fantastic. Everybody else is going to stay here with me. Yeah. Jesus keeps calling to this young man and saying, I want your attention. You can do this. Come on, man, jump. Trust me. I'll give you something so far greater than what you've poured your life into. Jump. Here's the tragic part of the story. He doesn't. He turns and walks away. Verse 22 says this. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the only man in all of Scripture that the Bible tells us had that response. The only one. Kind of tragic, isn't it? It's not a fairy tale ending, I'll tell you. I mean, if you're like me, I'm the eternal optimist. I'm like, no, 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 no. A couple chapters later, turn around. Come on, man. Help us out here. I need to feel good about this story. I need to know you're going to be there. He comes to the end of his moment. And he turns and walks away. And he makes a decision. This stuff, more important than you, Rabbi. Sorry about that. I'm going to have to take temporary. Because eternal seems just a little too costly. Gone through the rest of my Bible looking for another story. I can't find one. Still the eternal optimist, though. Still thinking. Maybe he went home and looked at all of his stuff and then came back around and said, no, 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 no. Oh, boy, did I ever miss that one. I got to go back. Maybe years later, he heard one of the disciples screaming at the top of his lungs. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Maybe he got a clue. Maybe he came back. All we know at this particular moment is that he he didn't. So Christ the King, we've got to ask the question. This is personal. I'm going to get all up in your business right now. What's the one thing that would cause you to walk away from a deep commitment to Jesus? What's he putting his fingers on right now? If you had to choose between Jesus or something, what would your choice be? Walk away sad or get something better. That's the decision. Many of us are tempted to kind of look at this and go, ah, this has nothing to do with me. Jesus would never ask me to do something like that. This is between the rich guy and Jesus. And I'm not the rich guy, at least we think. I'm not the rich guy, so this is great to be observe. No worries. What's he got his fingers on in your life right now? Whatever it was, when I asked the question about the idol, whatever it was that you quickly ran and, and swept up in a hurry because it came tumbling out of that closet in the back of your soul and stuck it back in and shut the door really, really quickly so Jesus wouldn't see it, That's the thing. And just like the rich young man, he's like, will you trust me? Will you hand it over? Jesus is saying, give me the relationship. And I'll give you real intimacy and real love and real acceptance. Because you know that relationship doesn't honor me. Jesus says, give me the lifestyle. I'm not trying to steal your fun. I'm trying to give you eternal life. Jesus says, give me the addiction. 
I'll take it. And I'll turn your life upside down with something called wholeness. Freedom. Jesus says, give me your past and your present and your future. And I'll give you forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. Will you trust me? The people that are going to come and join me on the stage have made a decision that they will not turn and walk away. Will their walk be perfect from this point? Absolutely not. It could be really difficult. But they're going to stand here publicly in front of their family and their friends and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. So I'm going to.